Well, I feel the Lord. Amen. He said, feel after me that you might find me and know me who I am. Oh, my goodness. You know, you, you, can, you can go to church or you can go to church. Right? And then you can be the church. So you and I have been called to love him with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Uh, I was just in these last few weeks, I've just rec- recognized a, uh, a real sense and a real presence. Uh, when I go to sleep at night, uh, I wake up and I'm, I'm quoting scripture, prophesying to myself. You know, just speaking things over my own life. Um, and I, I am just so grateful and thankful that I didn't wait a long time before I met the Lord. But as a, as a young man, after Diane and I first got married, <clears throat> I was a heathen. Diane went to church, but I was a heathen. I was raised in a heathen home. We didn't go to church. We didn't worship the Lord or anything else. Um, but Diane was raised in a in a home that uh, had really good standards. We didn't have good standards in my house. We had a dysfunctional family. But I I remember... My dad talking to me one time, and he said, Son, if you don't change your life, you won't make it past 21. You have to change your life. So he signed me up for the service. He signed me up for the service whenever I was 16. You had to have a parent's signature to do that. He took me down to the recruiter and signed me up in the service. And so while I was in high school, I was going to meetings, you know, in the service. And uh, when I was a junior in high school, I went to boot camp. On my, during the summer before my senior year, I went to boot camp. I was the youngest recruit uh, at boot camp. And he said that the, the military will make a man out of you. It did not. It did not. Uh, I didn't like authority. Um, and that's what he wanted me to learn, was to learn to to submit to authority. I thought I was doing a pretty good job just obeying him, but he thought I needed a little extra assistance. But Diane and I, uh, after I went to boot camp, then I went to Vietnam Right after my senior year, uh, I was out of my senior year. In two weeks, I was in Vietnam. And, and that's because of Diane. 
It was, it was her fault. And I, you're, some of you are looking at me strange. How come it was her fault? Because I was supposed to be at meetings whenever uh, I was actually with her. And I didn't show up for meetings. So Uncle Sam decided in Washington, D.C., they made a decision that this young man has missed uh, so many meetings. And so we're just going to send him into active duty. So they sent me my orders from headquarters. And so the next time I showed up at the meeting, they called me down front and gave me my my papers to go active uh, duty. So we went and did that. And you're going to think, well, what's this got to do with the Lord? Everything. Because I was running just like most young people in their life. They don't have any relationship at all with the Lord. They're just running. Uh, they don't know what they're running from. They're just running. And so, uh, anyway, so... After I got back, well, she and I got married, and Diane really was the best thing that ever happened to me up to that point. And then I had a major accident. Uh, I flipped my car. We, we just bought our first brand-new car, and we had it just for just a few months, had 10,000 miles on it. And I, I had taken her to Albuquerque, New Mexico to fly back for her family, to be with her family on Thanksgiving. And my family lived in Albuquerque, so I stayed with my family in Albuquerque, of mine that I worked with, that uh, he was uh, uh, working in Albuquerque. So I met him at a nightclub and, you know, just to have some drinks and to fellowship with him, uh, no other purpose or any other reason, but uh, that was just my life. That was my lifestyle. I was raised in that type of an atmosphere. I just going to the club was just a it was just a normal, natural thing uh, for me to do. And anyway, on the way home, uh, I was I, we lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So on the way home from Albuquerque, early that morning. Uh, I went to sleep at the wheel driving my car. And I was right at that point. At, as, you're, as you're coming into Santa Fe, if you're on this particular highway, uh, you get up to the top and you can see Santa Fe. It's about another 25 miles. But you can see Santa Fe, the lights and everything else. But there's no railings. There's nothing on the side of, of each side of the highway. One side of the highway is up here. The other side is down here. And there's just a gully thing in between. And so I went to sleep, and uh, I was doing about 80 miles an hour. And next thing I heard was gravel splashing up. Well, I had slid off over to the side going towards the ditch, and so it woke me up, so I tried to get my car back out on the highway, but it wouldn't go because it was there was a dip, and the pavement kept me from getting back up on the highway. So I had one of two choices. I could either turn the car sideways and it flip, or I could uh, just go straight and hit this ditch. There was a, there was a hole in the middle of the, 
in the bar ditch there where I was headed. And so I chose to hit the bar ditch. So I hit the bar ditch and it kicked my car up into the air and it flipped a number of times in the air. And it pulled me out of the front seat into the back seat, out of my shoes, and I was in the back seat. And glass was flying everywhere. And I'm saying all this to you because it was shortly after that that I met the Lord at the age of 21. Dad said I would never make it past 21. He said, because your lifestyle is just too radical, fanatical, for the wrong reasons. But he didn't know how to tell me what I needed to do, how to change it, to really get it. He tried to implement things, but those things didn't work. The only entity that can help mankind is the one that sent his only begotten son. The one that you have espoused to because he's made a change in your life. He means something different to each one of us because of our background, the way we were raised and brought up and everything else. But <clears throat> Diane was in Amarillo, Texas, is where she had flown back to. And they sent her word that I was in the hospital and had been in an accident, didn't explain anything to her. Uh, but there wasn't anything wrong with me. There wasn't anything wrong with me. I just, I had a few cuts, had a piece of glass stuck in my head. You know, my arms looked like they'd been through meat grinders. You know, but... Outside of that, I just, there was nothing wrong with me. They ran every kind of test you could think of on me to be sure there was no internal bleeding, so and so and so. So they released me from the hospital. So one of my buddies took me home to my house because I had no vehicle. And Diane flew back in, how did you get from Albuquerque? I can't remember. Well, somebody came and got, somebody came and got her and, and brought her back to the house. And uh, uh, they knocked on the door. They couldn't get in. The doors were locked and everything else. I was laying in on the couch. I was in shock, you know. Uh, but I was just laying there and doing doing nothing. You know, it's up being in shock, and I didn't hear her. Someone had to climb in through one of the windows, got into the house, and she comes in and finds me in that state. Well, Diane was attending a Baptist church, which she had attended all of her life, and she found her one there. And there was an evangelist that was ministering at that place. And uh, she told him, she said, uh, would you please pray for my husband? He's lost. And I was. I was lost. And he said that he would. But, you know, I had some time off. And and uh, it was a few weeks after the accident, probably several months after the accident. But, but uh, he came. Instead of praying, just praying for me, he came to the house, knocked on my door. I was still in bed. It was my day off. 
I was resting and I enjoyed my time off and I would sleep till noon, you know, or one o'clock and, and then get up. But that was my day off. And he came probably around 9, 9.30 in the morning, knocking on my door. I got up in, in my uh, – <laughs> there's no telling what I looked like when I answered the front door. I don't really remember. I, I just poked my head out. And uh, he told me who he was and – and he said uh, the Lord had instructed him to come and visit with me. And he had a life that he wanted to share with me and what the Lord had done in his life. And he felt like I would be very interested in hearing about his story. And I said, no, I'm really not interested. I'm really not interested. I'm sleeping. It's my day off. And, uh, you know, thank you for coming. But, no, I'm, I'm not really interested. And he said, well... Uh, he said, I was in the mafia, and I woke up. It got my attention. He said, I was in the mafia in Detroit, Michigan, and I controlled an entire city block. You were at work. Oh, yes, Diane was working. She wasn't at home. And anyway, uh, so that intrigued me. And I said, well, let me go change my clothes, get into some clothes, and and you come on in, and their living room's right here. And So he came in, sat down, waited for me, came out, and then he shared his life with me, which is going to bring me to the part that I'm going to talk to you about, about sharing your life story with individuals of the greatness of how God has been so good to you. And it doesn't make any difference how long you've been born again. There is a newness and a freshness every time you tell the story. <coughs> so he came in, shared his life story with me. I had been around Christians and um, didn't impress me at all. Worked with a, a man in uh, the business world that uh, was a deacon in his church. He was the man that ran the store that I was working in. Nice man, but there was just nothing in his life that drew me to him whatsoever. Even though he talked about the Lord and everything else, there just was no power behind it. So as he shared this story with me and everything, he said, Phil, he said, it's so easy to accept the Lord. And let him come into your life. It's not hard. You don't have to be in church to accept the Lord. Uh, he said, matter of fact, you can accept the Lord right here in your house. And I said, well, I don't know. He said, why are you putting off what you know that you need to do? There's no sense in putting it off. He said, I put mine off for years and years and years. And you're still a young man. I was 21 years of age. And so I said, his name was Bill, so I called him Brother Bill, just like everybody else did. I said, Brother Bill, if I can have what you have, if I can have what you have, what you're exemplifying to me, the love of God that you're sharing with me, your story, it, it, it's 
I can see it's a relationship. You have a relationship. And I'll take that. If I can have that, I'll take that. He said, you can have exactly what I have. He's, I said, well, I don't know the first steps. I don't know what to do. He says, well, let's just get down on our knees right here next to your couch. So I did. I got down on my knees and I said, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. He said, I'll lead you. Just follow me. So that's what I did. I just listened to him and I just followed him. He says, now you need to mean this in your heart. He said, it says in the word, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. He says, I can get you to confess with your mouth, but I can't get you to believe in your heart. That's only something that you can do. I said to him, I said, well, I want what you have. I want to change. And if, if I can make that, if I can do that, will he help me change? He said, yes, he will. He said, I'm living proof of that. I said, okay. So I said the sinner's prayer, got born again. He said, now, we're holding the revival at your wife's church. He said, would you please come to the service tonight? And he said, when I give the altar call for salvation, he said, I'm not calling you down for salvation, but I would like for you to come. He said, because if you will make a profession of faith before men, then the Father will acknowledge you and acknowledge your position. You need to do something with what's happened to you in your life and to share. So Diane comes home from work, as she always did. She would ask me when they were having meetings at the church, she would say to me, she said, Phil, would you go to church with me tonight? And normally I would say, no, no, I'm not going with you. But you promised. One of your commitments in our marriage was that you would go to church with me. (coughs) So she asked me and I said, yeah, I'll go with you tonight. I thought I was going to have to pick her up off the floor. You know, she was just shocked. She didn't, she didn't know what to say. Really? I said, yeah, I'm going to go with, you, go with you to church tonight. She said, okay. She didn't say another thing to me. So we went to church that night. And uh, I listened to his message and everything else. And, and at the end of the service, he gave an altar call. And I got up and I went down front. Well, when I started down front, she started bawling. I thought, don't make a spectacle. You know, you don't know anything. Because I didn't tell her what happened. I didn't tell her that he came by the house or any of those things. She thought I was going down front to get born again. And so she's crying, you know, and I I turn around and look at her every now and then. Then I'm standing in front and she's back there, you know, just sucking air. And and everything. And, and, And I'm thinking... This is going to be embarrassing. But I'm going to do what he said. And so he led everybody else to the Lord that was down front. Then he came to me and he said, uh, he said, Phil, he said, I met with you earlier today. He said, what happened? Tell your story. 
Tell them what the Lord did for you in your life. And so I shared, you know, that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord and everything else. And Diane is back there, and she kind of lets out a blurt. You know, <laughs> and and I, I wanted to say, shh, shh, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Well, that changed my life. That changed my life. I've known him now for 55 years. 50 of those years has been with the empowering of the Holy Spirit in my life. Five years later, Diane got born again and got filled with the Holy Ghost the same time I got filled with the Holy Ghost. She thought she was saved and the Lord told her, because she used to teach in the Sunday schools and all of those different things. And and the Lord told her we were standing in a revival meeting for the youth in a large church. And he spoke to her while he, we were standing there. He says, you know all about me, but you don't really know me. There's a lot of people that go to church. They know all about him. But they don't really know him. That was what was the difference between people that I had talked to before and Brother Bill. He not only knew about him, he knew him. He had a personal relationship. And it exuded from his life that the love of God that was in his heart was real and genuine and solid in his life. Pastor made a comment several weeks ago from the pulpit. I said it earlier, but his comment was, is this is simple. It is not hard. It is not complicated to really know him. It's not going to church that makes the difference. It's you knowing him. And because you know him, he makes a difference in you, which makes a difference in your atmosphere and the surrounding that you're in. So, I wanted to share with you, this is the year of the maximum. You already know that. This is the year of the maximum, the highest level of attainment. Now, when you think about that, how many of you can go further? How many of you have got some more room for growth? I used to tell our congregations all the time, one thing that... I used to say all the time to the congregation was, you got to stay open, you got to stay teachable, and you got to stay subject to change because you don't know it all. And neither do I. And neither does Pastor. And neither does Dr. Seville. They're getting new revelation and insight constantly all the time because they're willing to make change in their life and allow the Holy Spirit to lead them, to guide them, and to direct them. So the maximum is where we're headed. But a lot of us, we already have the maximum on the inside of us, but we're not applying or appropriating what we have. How many of you here are the healed? Whether you feel well or you don't feel well. The Word says you're healed. God says you're healed. And you know, I never had a bit of problems with the devil, 
while I was running for him, while I was his little imp doing what he wanted me to do. I never had a problem with the devil until I became a true Christian. When I became a true Christian, it seemed like all hell broke loose. First thing he said to me, probably believe some of the same thing he said to you, is you didn't really get, you weren't really serious. You didn't really mean it. You know, and I figured it out one time because I found in the Bible where it says that he's a liar and the father of lies. So everything he says is a lie. And so I just figured it out that he just said that I'm not, so I must be. He never told me before I wasn't. But I must be truly born again now because he's upset because I changed sides and changed allegiances. Amen. So I wanted to read out of Ephesians chapter number 3 to you. Are you still with me? Because as we begin to close out and everything else, I'm going to give you a scripture out of the book of Revelation that applies to you and applies to me. And I'm going to let you put that scripture into activity or into operation through your life before we leave here. So in Ephesians chapter number 3, starting at verse number 16, he said that, He would grant to you, according to the riches of His glory, to the strengthening with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Everybody say, by faith. faith. It's by faith. What you do in the Word has to be operated through the element of faith. He has given to every man the measure of faith. You have the measure that is necessary to do whatever it is that his covenant has made promise to you and I. I'm in covenant relationship. I'm not just in a relationship. I'm in a binding covenant relationship through his blood that is, it's irreversible. You cannot violate or break the covenant that was established in the blood of Jesus. If he says you're healed, you're healed. Whether you look like it, act like it, feel like it, even believe it, it doesn't change the validity of the word. The word is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And if we will stand on the word and believe the word and what he has done, then the, then fear cannot be activated in your life because faith is being activated. Faith overrules all doubt, all fear, and all unbelief. Fear is a spirit and it tries to attach itself to you in your, in your mental thinking so that you and I will begin to think in the negative rather than think in the positive. How many of you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't like what you see? You have to talk to yourself. You have to change the way you think about yourself. Many of us walk with our heads down because we don't have a good image inside of us of who we are. But come come to think about it, he said that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Amen? I'm an heir and I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. One man said that means that we are equal with. 
And that's exactly what we are. We are equal with. We stand alongside of. You know, I used to tell our congregation, they would say, I'm behind you, brother. I said, my problem is, is how far behind me are you? We're supposed to be walking hand in hand. We'll take the land. We need to stand in faith together, believe in together. What the Word says, if our brother or our sister is, is ill or sick or is having a problem, the Bible says that we're supposed to have compassion for them, feel for them, and, and stand with them in the faith. So you and I need to be thinking, we need to be on the same plane and the same book on the same page so that we can understand that Jesus did not give a sacrifice for you and I in vain. What he accomplished for you and what he accomplished for me is absolutely phenomenal. And it's not hard. It's not hard. We've made it hard because of what we think. When Trey was ministering Wednesday night, how many of you, I don't know how many of you were here and how many of you weren't, but he was talking about changing your mindset, changing how you think. In Philippians 2.5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let it be in you. You have to let it. I have to let it. If I don't let it, it's not going to happen. And I can be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, heaven bound and everything else, and still living a defeated life. And he didn't call us to a defeated life. He taught us to a maximum life. Well, Jesus is the only one that could walk that way. Not anymore. I've been born again. My old man passed away. You can ask my wife. I am not the same man that I used to be. I'm not the man that she married. The man that she married was a lost heathen. She loved me because she got attached to me because... I'm so suave and debonair. <laughs> handsome and all those different things. She lusted me. There's a difference between attraction and the love of God. And... But that's all we knew. That's all we knew. So how could we respond any differently? She was a beautiful, still a beautiful young lady. And what can I say? We were just got captivated with one another's persona. Because of who we were in the natural. But it's been such a different life after I became born again. I used to tell our church the first seven years of our marriage was really tough. And it was. You know, I loved her, you know, but couldn't live with her. She loved me. Wasn't too sure she wanted to live with me. 
But I used to tell the church, when I got Diane changed, I got her thinking changed. It's been great ever since. And, of course, that's not true. The problem really was not Diane. The problem was Phil. Because of my life, my lifestyle, the way I was raised. Because I would take her to those places that I went to. Because I was big about being the man of the house. So the woman goes where the man goes. Right? I didn't know all the scriptures and everything else. Nothing. I didn't quote scriptures or anything. But a true man is one that bows his knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and allows the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide. She's my help meet. She's not my door mat. Amen? She's supposed to be the love of my life, not just my wife. Diane's my best friend and has been all these years. We've worked alongside of one another. I can't tell you the number of times that I personally have fired her. We had our own business. I fired her on numerous occasions. Didn't fire her from being my wife. Fired her from the business, you know, that we were doing and everything. I don't know why I'm saying that. But Jesus made a way for us. It is so clear in the Scripture. He made a way. He said that Christ, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. You get rooted and grounded in love, you get rooted and grounded in Him because He's love. He's, he's not just an expression of love, He is love. God so loved this world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that doesn't mean after you leave this life. That means from the start when you get hooked in. He says He may be able, uh, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, what is the length, the depth, and the height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, maximum. Exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. How many of you know I can ask pretty big? How about you? I can think pretty big. But not to the maximum like he does. He's all-knowing. He holds all the answers and all the solutions, all of the outcomes, if we'll just listen to what he has to say.
with simplicity, just take him at his word. If he says he'll do it, he'll do it. If he says it, he'll do it. See, if he didn't do it, every time he made a commitment to do something, if he didn't do it. I mean, he stood on the threshold of, the, of an earth without form and was void, and he said, let there be. Just let there be. Did you know that light is still, still producing light? It hasn't ended. It still has a creative force behind it, and it's still creating light. Did you know that we have, uh, they can see into galaxies now where they couldn't see into galaxies before, and it has light in it. That's the reason they can see it, is because it has light in it. I mean, who would have thought to say, let there be, and it just came about? You're not here by accident. The Bible says that He was there when you were conceived in your mother's womb, and He helped to fashion you and create you. He created you who you are. If He made you to be a female, that's what He wanted you to be, because He has a destiny for you to be that. We live in a society that doesn't believe that way, but that didn't change the way He thinks, and it's exactly the same as what He said in the beginning. Two females still cannot produce. Two males still cannot produce. They just can't. Never have been able to and will not be able to. Because God created man the way He created man, and He created woman the way He created woman, and He gave them a specific job and destiny in their life. He said, Now unto him that is able to do, now unto the Lord who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He's trying to get something to you so he can get it through you. Every resource. Remember he gave his disciples come in. He says whenever you go out two by two, he said heal the sick. Who did he tell heal the sick? The disciples. He told them, heal the sick. Cast out devils. Raise the dead. Who did he tell to do that? The disciples. And the Bible says, and they went and did. And they just went. And it's simple. They just simply obeyed, did what he said to do. They went. They healed, they raised the dead, they cast out devils. Guess what? His word has never changed. What does he want you to do? What does he want me to do? He wants me and you to go to the endless part or the in, in, all the parts of the world and to heal the sick. He wants you to lay hands on the sick. And they'll recover. He wants you to cast out the devils. Oh, that's not my ministry. 
I had people through the years come up to me and say, Pastor Phil, I'm not into the deliverance ministry. God didn't call me to deliverance ministry. I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's go back to what the Bible says. The Bible says that this is what you as a believer will do. You as a believer, not a preacher, not someone that stands behind the pulpit. And by the way, pastoring and preaching is not just standing behind the pulpit. There's so much more to pastoring and preaching than behind the pulpit. Matter of fact, that's a real small part of what preachers do. A true preacher, not a hireling. I'm talking about a true preacher of the gospel. He is available 24-7. He goes whenever he is summoned to go to do whatever it is that the bidding of the Lord is. And you and I are supposed to be on standby 24 hours a day. You've been called into the propagation of the gospel of good news. There are hurting people outside these walls. Love them for me. Amen? Praise God. Are you still with me? I'm going to stop there. I'm going to quote this scripture out of Revelation. Chapter 12. You all know it. Chapter 12 and verse 11. It says, and they overcame him. They overcame who? The devil. Satan. They. They. Now say me. That's me. That's me. I overcome him. By the blood of the lamb. And by the words of my testimony. What is my testimony? My testimony is about the greatness and the goodness of a sovereign God who sent His only begotten Son for me to be able to carry out His ministry. I am His mouthpiece. I am His ears. I am His eyes. I am His feet. I am everything that he needs me to be. You are so valuable and important to the Lord that we cannot neglect such great salvation. I don't care if you're in your 80s, 90s, 70s, 60s. We're all called to continue to carry out to the very last breath that we breathe the greatness and the goodness of who our God is. How is the earth ever going to know how wonderful our God is if we, the church, keep Him inside these four walls? Ministry is out here. Now, we need to love our brothers. We need to do good unto those that are of the household of faith and minister to them first. We need to be sure that our brothers and sisters are okay. That they're in the faith, standing in the faith. That they're getting rooted, they're getting grounded. pastor stands behind the pulpit. He's, he's not... A true pastor doesn't study for the congregation. He studies for himself. So that he can be a light. That when he stands behind that pulpit, he has an anointing with an appointment to give good food 
to the congregation so that they can digest it and make it a part of their own life. That's what makes that pastor special. It's not that he's just called. He has an appointment. He has an anointing. He has a mantle that's upon his life to give direction by the Holy Spirit to the congregation to do the work of the ministry. His job is stay in the Word and stay in prayer. Acts chapter 2. Read the first three or four verses of Scripture, you'll see what his job is. It's not to go around putting out a bunch of fires that's going on in the church. That's what we have deacons and elders for. Is to help to take care of the work of the ministry. When Diane and I came here, and I'm sure I've already told you this, but the first thing we did was we met with Pastor uh, Justin and Pastor Annette. And for breakfast, and I said, Diane and I are here for one reason, and one reason only. We're not looking for title. I've already had titles. Not looking for position. I've already had positions. I said, we're here to help hold up your hands, Pastor. We want to help you to fulfill the vision of this house. What can we do to help you to fulfill that. How can we help you? He said, well, you've got 41 years of pastoring experience. I said, yes, I do, but I still got a long way to go. He said, well, you surely know more than I do. So not necessarily. Not necessarily. The length of time doesn't necessarily mean that you're smarter than or whatever. I said, I have certain things that I have been through. I have made a lot of mistakes, and I can surely help you there to help you not make them so that we can take this congregation to the level God wants it to go and to hook up with our apostle. And you got the best of both worlds. You've got the apostle, prophet. You've got a teacher and a pastor. You've already got four of the five right there. And then God sends us in evangelists to help us. So we've got all, all the fivefold giftings in the house to help us to get to that determined destination. Okay. So we, you and me, we have overcome him. We have already overcome. Him. We're not overcoming Him. We have overcome Him because we are saturated in the blood of the Lamb that has a covenant without end. That blood cannot be diluted or stained. It is finalized. It was put upon the mercy seat of God and the, and the gavel of justice was hit on that altar, which meant telestai, which means it is finished. It was formally finished when Jesus took his own blood, presented it upon the mercy seat, not made by hands, but made by God himself. And when that blood was put there, it was finalized. 
It was finished. The devil is a defeated foe. Says so. Read Colossians. Says he defeated him. He openly made an embarrassing issue of him. In front of his own team. Letting them know no further. And every time that he accuses you of anything. I don't care what it is. Maybe you did something wrong. So what? Join the human race. As long as you live in this Adamic body, you have potential to make mistakes. But Jesus satisfied the gavel of justice on that issue. Said he forgave as far as the, your sin, as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. I don't know how many of you are still bringing up stuff from your past. Telling him about your past. He doesn't know it. God doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. He put it away as far as the east is from the west. Why don't you? Why don't you? I just told you where I came from. I don't meditate on that stuff. I don't, I don't think about it. I just thank God that I've been delivered from it. Amen. I don't have to live like that anymore. I don't have to act like that anymore. I have all the natural ingredients and spiritual ingredients that are necessary to get me to my determined des- destination in life. And so do you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's for you too. So we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, your testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Paul made this simple statement. He said, To live is Christ, to live is the anointed one and his anointing. To live is Christ. To have his, the anointed one in my life and his anointing. And to die is gain. It's a win-win. The devil can't take you out. He can't take you out. I said he can't. He can't take you out. Well, what about all these people that have died and the devil's behind it and everything else? They let him. Thank you for shouting me down. Listen, it's up to you and me. You can go as far as you want to go and everything else. Should I go ahead and share what happened before we get out of here? It's almost time. Can you wait about five minutes? Back in July of this year, this past year, 2022, uh, Diane and my oldest daughter, we went to a restaurant. And I ordered, just like I always ordered. And uh, I took a bite of my the meat that I had ordered. 
And it got stuck in my throat. I couldn't get it out. I tried to get it out, did everything that I knew to do in the natural and, and everything, but it, it just it, it just wouldn't come up. It wouldn't go down. And so I went and sat out in the car and told them, go ahead and finish your meal. I, I, I could still breathe, but it was hard. But I couldn't swallow anything. My saliva was building up and everything. I'm not going to go into the gory details. But anyway, we go home. My daughter's a nurse. We try everything that we know to try in the natural. Nothing worked. So they took me to the emergency room. We get to the emergency room, and the emergency room tried the same things that we were trying at home. It didn't work. We were there for about two hours at the emergency room. So they said, we've ordered an ambulance for you. We're going to take you downtown to a hospital that has the facilities to do what they need to do because they're going to have to go in with an endoscopy and remove the food and everything else. So I said, okay. So I had to wait in the emergency room. It was already late at night going into the morning. So I had to wait until 7 o'clock the next morning. And, um, you know, and not one second did I have any fear. None. There was times I couldn't breathe at all. But there was no fear. Absolutely none. I didn't have any fear for my life because I knew to live was Christ and to die was gain. So I win-win. It's a win-win. It's not a win for the family necessarily, but it was be a win-win for me because I know who I am and I'm in Christ. But he's not through with me yet. So, so I said, no, this can't happen. No, this can't happen. So they go in, take me in, put me out. Thank God they put me out. That was my first question. Do I have to go through this or do you put me out? They said, no, we put you out. I said, that's good. I'll give you permission to just let it be completely, totally out. I don't want to know nothing. You won't know anything. I said, that's good. That's good. Have at it. What do I need to do? Lie down. They put this thing in my mouth. Put the IV in. And uh, they said, uh, now count. I said, count what? They said, count from 10 back. I said, 10. That was the last thing I remembered. <laughs> 10. 10. Next thing I remembered, they said, Mr. Thurman, Mr. Thurman, Mr. Thurman. So I wake up and they say, Mr. Thurman, they got everything. They took pictures of everything, you know, and so forth. And they took a biopsy while they were in there. And they couldn't find anything in the biopsy. Nothing. Everything looked fine. They got what they couldn't get out. They pushed down into my stomach, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So they, they did all of that. And, and they said, now, you need to get a GI doctor. I didn't even know really what. I didn't know what a. I hadn't heard it called GI doctor. But, yeah. 
I thought, no, I don't want to go back to the service. That was not good news. It couldn't be good news today. I'm too old anyway. So, got to get a GI doctor in six weeks. You need to have another endoscopy done. So, they did another endoscopy. And so, he went in. He did, did uh, the same thing that the previous one did. Went in, and uh, he found something inside the esophagus that was abnormal. And so, he took some biopsy of it and everything else. He said, this is beyond my expertise. You need to go see a specialist in this field. So they send me to another doctor, GI doctor. It specializes in this particular field. He goes in, same thing. So this is the third time that they do an endoscopy. They go in. He uh, does an ultrasound as well inside and so forth. And he comes back and he said, the, the biopsy has come back. You have cancer. I said, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, why aren't you moved by that? I wouldn't, didn't have an ounce of fear. All I knew was, is I'm not finished. God's not through with me yet. And so he says, now, I've done all I can do. Now it's going to be up to a surgeon and up to an oncologist, go to an oncologist and find out what they want to do. So I said, okay. So we went to an oncologist and he said, Mr. Thurman, he said, there's a tumor that's about halfway down uh, your esophagus and we need... What we want to do, and what the surgeon wants to do, is he wants to give you chemo and radiation, and then they'll do the surgery on you. And so I go to the surgeon, and the surgeon says, "This is what we're going to do to you. We're going to take out your esophagus from here to here, and we're going to take your stomach, and we're going to pull your stomach up to meet where they dis, where they took the esophagus out." And they're going to reattach it. It's going to be elongated. Your stomach will be elongated. They showed me the pictures of it and everything else. And I said, uh, I don't want the surgery. I, I'm, not, I'm not for the surgery. He said, sir, this is the only thing that has any, any guarantee whatsoever. I said, no, it's not the only thing. No. So I went back to the oncologist, and I told the oncologist exactly what was stated and said. And, and uh, he said, well, you really don't want the surgery, do you? And I said, no, I don't. I, I don't. And I said, he can't give me any guarantees. Uh, you can't give me any guarantees. But I've got some guarantees. I've got some guarantees. So he said, well... We want to do chemotherapy on you starting, what was it, the next day? Something like that, right away. And we want to do radiology on you. Radiation. Radiation, yeah. Do radiation on you. You'll have 28 treatments of radiation and five treatments of chemotherapy once, once a week. And so I submitted to the chemotherapy. And there's my phone. 
That's probably my daughter. And anyway, so I submitted to the uh, chemotherapy and to the radiation, went completely through all of that, did absolutely wonderful through the entire time until the very, very end. The very, very end, things just didn't taste good. Things didn't smell good. Uh, It just, you know, it just, it's what they said chemotherapy and everything does, but I, I did extremely well with it. So after I finished and everything else, my oncology doctor told me, he said, now, he said, uh, I, I want to send you over to another GI doctor. And we're going to do another endoscopy with, uh, what's the other? Ultrasound. With ultrasound uh, and everything else. And we're going to do a uh, CAT scan on all of your innards to be sure everything is okay. But you went ahead and you did all the... I did all the radiation. I did all the chemo. I did all that kind of stuff. Lost a little bit of hair in the process. But uh, anyway, so that was right at Christmas time. And, of course, everything had been as busy as it was. So I didn't find out until this past Tuesday what the results were from from those exams and everything else. The doctor, we meet with him and everything else, and um, he goes through it, and he said, well, Mr. Thurman, he said, I know you don't want surgery. I said, you're absolutely correct. I said, I have, I really have a physician that's better at this than everything. I, I don't remember the exact words I said, but anyway... Uh, he said, well, your, um, your, your uh, endoscopy and ultrasound look great. There's nothing there. There's no tumor. We find no cancer cells. There's nothing there. It's just not there. And he said, as far as your, your CAT scan, everything is normal. There's nothing abnormal. Everything is normal. What, what they found before doesn't, it's, just doesn't exist. It's just not there. So we have a more sure word of prophecy. I'm telling you, the word works. But you've got to work it. Amen. You can't stop. You got to pray. You got to believe. You got to stand in faith. You got to quote the word, keep quoting the word, and everything else. And so the devil wants to give you all kinds of fear to operate and function in. Now, you're looking at a person that's been in perfect health. You know, I'm 76 years of age. I've been in perfect health. I had my tonsils out when I was five years old, had a compact fracture on my second toe on my left foot because I fell 17 feet off of a ladder and hit a concrete floor. And that's all that happened was a compound fracture on my toe. They had to put that. That was back in the 90s. 
I was putting up Christmas ornaments in my church in the building. The ceiling in the sanctuary was 17 feet tall. And so, you know, I'm a older gentleman. I shouldn't have been up there in the first place, but I was. And, and, uh, and that's what happened. That's the only time I've ever had any type of surgery of any kind. And for them to even suggest to do something that I was going to be in the hospital for two weeks and be in intensive care for potentially two to three days uh, just wasn't my cup of tea. So our God is a big God. He can do anything if we dare to trust Him and believe Him. Amen? Praise God. Well, I was going to ask all of you to share something that's happened to you in your life, but we're already way past our time and everything else. But I just want you to know that this word is true. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. He's a good God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you're the first people that I've told other than some individuals that we had shared this with. And I think pastor's going to want me to share this with the congregation. So it won't be new news to you, but it will be to others. But I just want you to know that he is here to and willing to do whatever needs to be done in your life. Amen. We can all stand in the gap and make up the hedge for one another. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you. I received that. Praise God. Take your neighbor's hand, if you would, at your table. Just grab their hand, just as a point of contact. You don't know what that individual is going through, what they're faced with, circumstances, situations, and everything else. But God does. He understands all of that. And let's just activate our faith and believe the Lord for a supernatural impartation into their lives. Father, you told us to lay hands on the sick. And I know that there's those that are in this room, Lord, that have something in their physical body that's not functioning and operating the way that it should. I don't know all the reasons or how comes, and it doesn't really make any difference. It doesn't change one ounce of the anointing on the blood of Jesus. The blood has already satisfied everything that pertains to natural life and spiritual life. And so, Lord, we thank you for the anointing that's within this body right now, flowing one to the other, setting that other person free. From the top of their heads, literally, to the soles of their feet. Whatever needs to transpire and take place, whatever needs to be replaced, whatever needs to be healed, whatever needs to be delivered, Lord, we release the anointing and the power to go one to the other 
in Jesus' name. And we declare that by the stripes of Jesus, we are the healed. We are the healed. We are the healed in the name of Jesus. And we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, Lord. There it is. It's ours. We take it. We take it. It's ours. We give you praise for it. Right now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for every home that is represented. Lord, that you would minister to every individual in those homes. Lord, there are some that have lost loved ones. We claim their souls for the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord, for putting people into their pathway that they will listen to and that they will receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Accept Him as the Lord of their life and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we give you praise for that right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. We thank you for the love of God that's in this house. Lord, flowing one to the other. Love. Your love that surpasses all understanding. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Peace. Peace, where there's been turmoil, friction, peace. Let the peace of God rule in their hearts and in their lives. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And everybody that receives that, say amen. Amen, amen and amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.